We're now in 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to be talking about relationships in the church and how we need to work with each other in the church and help each other in the church. Remember, the church is a family. We're the family of God, amen? This is the family of God. And you got to get loving each other and get to know each other because guess what? In heaven, we're going to spend eternity with each other. We're going to be bumping each other, into each other in the streets of gold and say, hey, John, how's it going? Great, man, just praise Jesus and loving it. And, and you know what? We're going to have jobs in heaven. I don't know what the jobs are. It's hard to describe heaven. There are some glimpses of what heaven's going to be like, but it's not sitting on the cloud, okay? Uh, playing a harp, you know, with a halo on your head and, uh, uh, you know, entering the St. Peter's Gate like they're in the cartoons. It's, it's completely different. You're going to be in a paradise so incredible that colors that we normally see here on earth, we think that are, you ever see a brilliant, incredible sunset? Well, just magnify that a thousand times in heaven uh, because our world here has been polluted and tainted and, and, and not really reflecting really as true glory because of sin, man's corruption. Uh, smells, just uh, when smelling a rose, sometimes you don't get the full impact, but in heaven, roses that will be blooming everywhere, you'll be able to get that. Whoa, I never smelt such an incredible fragrance. Food will be so wonderful because you'll be tasting your taste buds right now. A lot of us are ruined our taste buds on too many jalapenos and habanero sauce and all that. But you know what? In heaven, it's going to be magnified. You're going to have the most wonderful meals and steak and lobster in heaven because it's going to be something that just God has described in a way that the flavors are not diminished by man's sinfulness. And no calories. You can eat all, well, I don't know if you want to eat all you want, but you know, you're going to be feasting at the table there set before you. And the Lord will be at the head of the table. So here in Philippians, First Timothy, what we're looking at is how we're going to love each other here on earth in preparation for what's going to go on in heaven. And so how to treat church members. And we're going to focus today on widows. And we don't normally talk about widows. The, our culture doesn't, you don't hear on the, no, on the news, there was a widow today crossing the street. You don't, we don't talk about widows. It just doesn't. But the Bible does mention how the church needs to handle widows and treat them. So, but first of all, it says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. And the word for rebuke here is epipleso. Say epipleso. It means to, to strike or to chasten with words. You don't do that with an older man in the church. You respect the older men in the church. There's a problem with young men. Young men have a problem with, I'm the man, you know, guys and how we are, and, and that old guy, I don't, I'm going to teach him. You know, you don't do that. In the church, you honor the older men because even if you disagree with the old guy, okay, even if you disagree with them, you have an honor and a respect because God has said that's the way the church should be conducted. Now, you're going to always find out. I don't know, growing up, there was always the, the crotchety deacon that would be yelling at the kids in the, in the church, hey, kids, don't run in here and just don't do this and that. But the spirit of the church, older men, we need to love the younger people and work with them in a way that just to bring, we're bringing up this next generation. But at the same time, it says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. And the word for exhort is the word parakaleo. Say the word parakaleo. To call to one side, to encourage and to comfort and to teach. Now the interesting thing about parakaleo, it, it's the word similar for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. Not to be confused with parakeet, okay? So, but the parakeet, uh, the paraclete is the one who comes alongside you. He, uh, because when you call in the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into you and he, 
and it's God inside of you. So para, like paramedic, paralegal, one who comes alongside kaleo to call out. The, what you do here for exhorting uh, is that whenever you have a beef with somebody in the church, whenever you have a disagreement, you get together with a person, you call them alongside, and you encourage and you share words with each other that, hey, you know what? If I have offended you, I am sorry. And, and can we just, let's, let's pray about it and let's work at having, restoring this relationship. So that's really what the church is about. It's always communicating with each other and let's love each other in a way where let's, don't, you go to your corner and I'll go to my corner. I'll, I'll sit in the front pew, you sit in the back and then we'll, you know. God is saying, let's call one, each one, one another and restore each other and encourage one, one another but rebuke and also has the word, or exhort has the word of teaching and helping to bring comfort to somebody that is in distress. That's what the family is all about. How many of you get together where family meals, you sit around the table, and, you know, a lot of churches don't, a lot of families don't do that anymore, right? You know, somebody works at midnight, somebody has to be up at two in the morning, somebody has to be, somebody gets home at, at six o'clock at night, and somebody getting home at one in the morning. We're all scattered around. Wherever you can get a job, you take it. And that's what families are, are what's happening in our culture. Remember there was a time when stores weren't open 24 hours a night. Now they're open 24 hours a night. You can go to Ralph's and go, go to Walmart 20, you know, two in the morning to get your Twinkies when you have, well, hope not, you know, but <laughs> stay away from Walmart with, from the Twinkie aisle. Um, you know, that aisle that's got all the goodies. Uh, but parakaleo, called alongside, God is coming to you, alongside of you, to encourage you and to lift you up. And that's why when Jesus left for heaven from this earth, he said, hey, don't worry, I'm going to send the comforter, and he will come alongside you, and he will teach you and lead you into all truth. That's what God has promised. And so it also says how to treat members of the church Treat younger men as brothers. What Paul is doing here is he's telling Timothy, Timothy, this is what it's all about. You're a pastor in the church. You're a leader. You're an example. You're a young man, so don't rebuke an older man. That is not what you're supposed to do as a pastor. As a pastor, younger men who are your age, treat them as a brother. Be gentle with them and don't uh, party with them as far as, you know, because you've got to be a young man that's going to be guiding young man as an example of Christ. Now, young men, there, there's this thing about young men. I mean, young men are, are uh, there's all this adrenaline in them, inside them, right? And, and they're out there, like Louis was I was telling me he was out at, uh, he had to go get some money, I think it was at, uh, or he was getting off work. Louis, my son Louis works at, he was working for the shuttle, and you know, he gets off like at two in the morning, but he's driving home, and, and uh, a cop pulls him over, because, you know, if a young guy is out on the street in the, at two o'clock in the morning, there's something, I mean, he's up to no good, right? Yeah, that's what they usually think, is so he, they pull him over. It was something about a taillight or something, but a cop wants to look for, hey, there's a young guy out at two o'clock in the morning, He's probably up to no good. And so, but that's, but that's why we pay the policemen. We want them to look out for those young men because a lot of young men are up to no good at 2 o'clock in the morning. We've got to keep an eye on these guys and set them straight. Now, Joey, where are you at 2 o'clock in the morning? Okay, okay. We gotta, that Bible says that 2 o'clock in the morning, keep an eye on younger men, but treat them like brothers. So I want to treat you guys like brothers. But now I'm getting to that fatherly age. I'm finding, wait a minute, I'm getting closer to 60. Wait, I'm, not getting the, I'm the grandfather type now. I'm the father. I'm looking at my church, the people in my church, as I'm overseeing the body of believers as my children. But younger men as brothers, older women as mothers. Timothy, the older women of the church, treat them as your mother. All the, you know, you give your, your mom a hug, you love them, you honor them, you respect them, and, and be kind to them, whatever their needs are, you be there as a young man, as a, as a son, to treat the mothers. And then younger women, 
as sisters with all purity. Now, it includes the word purity because, Timothy, you're, you're a young man, and in the church there's going to be some pretty ladies. And you know what, Timothy? You need to be pure in this area. Don't be looking at the women as objects of desire in a sexual and impure way, but you look at the younger women as sisters. And this is where a lot of ministers fall because there are women in the church who will be desirable, young and single, and then the pastor, and many pastors in San Diego, or I mean, I don't know in particular in San Diego, but in the United States, have fallen to temptation in this area and have destroyed their ministries. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, you need to be an example. And men, as leaders in this church and as ministers in this church, all of us men, you're going to find this is going to happen in any church. There's going to be women in the church that are going to be very attractive, but us as men need to treat the younger women as sisters, always with purity, always as Christ was in relationship with women, in his relationship with he treat all women as a sister or as a mother. He's our example. Pastors fall in three major areas. Money is a big destruction for pastors because if they mishandle money, it destroys their ministry. Power. If a pastor gets too much power and he's in control of a church or he is controlling all the strings of everything, it destroys the pastor. And we've seen that happen where pastors get so big that they are unapproachable as far as who can tell him what to do, and he's, he's off on his own, taking, and that destroys the pastor. And the third thing is purity. Sex has destroyed so many ministers. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, we don't want you to fall into this area. Here is God, speak, the Holy Spirit, speaking to Timothy in a way that is going to keep him pure if you follow these guidelines. All of us here are ministers of God, and we're being bombarded daily in ways that can destroy us as ministers of God and our testimony in the community. And that's why he's saying, here, treat the women as sisters with all purity. So this is a warning to us men here in the church, and this is a, an admonishment that we need to be very careful and how we have relationships with the younger women in our church. And I know that in our church, that's, I, I've just seen good things, and I, I've, I love the, the response, and I love the, the familiness in our church. But it can become an area that has been very destructive if misused. So Ephesians 6.2 says, Honor, let's read it together, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. And here, Paul telling the, the, uh, the Ephesian church, honor your father and your mother. And that's why he's saying, this is how we have relationships in the church with the younger men, older women, older men. Honor them, father and mother, because this is the first commandment with a promise that you will be blessed if you do these things. So, reading on here in 1 Timothy chapter 5, he says in verse 3, Honor widows who are really widows. And the reason why he says honor widows who are really widows, because what there's a couple of categories. There were women who lost their husbands, but there were women who, those women who had lost their husbands, they were, they were a widow, but they would have children or maybe grandchildren or other family members that could help support the widow. But there were women who would lose their husband. They didn't have any children or any relatives. And so Paul is saying these are real widows because there's nobody else to support them. This is the important thing to understand, that back in the time of the New Testament church when this is being written, there was no Social Security. There were no pensions. There were no uh, uh, any, any, any uh, uh, support network to help a lady when she was stranded in a financial situation. But 
back in that time, a woman, especially a widow, was the one who would be cast out of society because she could not get a job. Her husband was the one who provided. He was the worker. And women couldn't go and apply in a public service type of job. They couldn't go to a, a department store or a particular market and say, can you give me a job here? She was particularly out of society's realm of honor and uh, being helped because of her role as a woman who didn't have any training. Now her husband is dead. And so he says here, verse 4, but if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Now, your parents have raised you, and your parents have given you a, a training and education, and, and they've worked with you, and, and now that your, your, your mother is without a husband, it's saying, you guys... You children, you need to come alongside your mom and, and pay her back and help her out and, and be there for her. Now, what the Bible is saying here is that honor your father and your mother. And that's what the whole principle here, what Paul is telling Timothy, is that the church needs to be surrounding those who are widows. And since I've been here in this church, there's been... Uh, uh, several women who have lost their husbands. There's Margaret Mayer, who is a widow, who uh, her husband passed away less. Uh, it's been about seven years, Ron, or your father died in five. And, and uh, Dottie Chia Sarah is here with us this morning. Vic uh, passed away uh, a few years back. So we have genuine widows here in our church. And how do we minister to the widows in our church? Well, the Bible continues to talk about this. And it says that now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Verse 6, but she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those who of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he's giving very strict instructions to the church that we are to look out for those who are really widows in the church. And the church has many opportunities to serve and, and to work alongside widows. And I, I love it where my son Sam has been over to help Marge uh, Veal. Marge is a, is a widow, and, and here is uh, Marge. Uh, my son Sam's been out helping us. <laughs> Marge uh, just do moving some boxes and stuff like that. But whenever you get a chance... Always, the, the, what the principal message here is, always be available to any lady, especially those who have lost their husbands. How can I help you? How can I minister to you? Not only physically, but emotionally and mentally, and they'll encourage you to be the, God, the godly woman that God wants you to be. And then continuing on in verse 9, it says, Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, unless, and not unless she has been the wife of one man well-reported for good works, and if she brought up children, and if she has lodged strangers, and if she has washed the saints' feet, and if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Now, what is saying here in, in verse 9, that not unless she's 60 years old should she be on the list. And what it's saying is that there was actually a list for women who were widows in that day. And the reason why not under 60 is because Paul is saying, well, look, at if she's still a young widow, maybe she lost her husband when she was 25, she will still want to get married. So the church shouldn't have that obligation of taking care of a young woman because you'll probably find another husband. And, but let's reserve the finances in the church for those who are truly over 60 and those who are in, in need later on in their lives. Because... It says in verse 11, But refuse younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. And what it's saying is that, well, a young lady is going to want to get married eventually. And she's going to want to find a husband. And, and maybe she'll run off with some other guy that is not even following the Lord. He's outside of the church. And if the church started supporting her, and, and then all of a sudden she's... Uh, 
living with a guy that's an unbeliever, she's uh, separating herself from Christ, then the church is not using its finances properly. So having, verse 12, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith, and besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. Whoa, and so, you know, be careful, ladies. You get, here is a lady that she's young and pretty, and she's also, you know, the, the, the church is supporting her, supposedly, and, and then, well, Paul is warning, hey, don't, because if you start supporting this young lady, and, then, and she starts separating herself from Christ, and then all of a sudden she's going to be busybody, she's got all this money, she's running off from house to house, having uh, Fulcher's coffee, you know, just talking all over, just, just coffee dates and with the girls, and going out to Nordstrom's, and hanging out, and yeah, where do you get your money? Oh, the church is supporting me, and, and I got a date with Freddie tonight, and everything, because the church is giving me up. So that's what Paul is warning. Don't young women want to get married and so let them just it's good to get married but don't be supporting the younger ladies because if you do it could cause them to drift off and and become wanton in the sense that they separate themselves from the teaching of christ and there verse 14 therefore i desire that younger widows marry bear children manage the house give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully for some have already turned aside after satan if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. Now, in our culture, uh, we do have safeguards. We do have these safety nets, and, and there are pensions and Social Security and, and life insurance and, and all of these things and family members, but back then, it didn't work that way. A real widow was stranded with nobody to help her, and she was left to only beg. That was her only resource for her income, was she would be the beggar on the street. That little old lady on the street was, in the marketplace was because she was a widow, and nobody else was able to help her. And Paul is saying that should not happen. If you have a widow in your church, you need to be, as a church, setting aside money to support those who are without the resources so they're not begging and they will not die in the streets. So the Bible is covering all these bases. As, to, as, saying to, you know, as a family of God, we need to take care of one another. And Lord willing, if that's what happens, I, I know that we need to set aside money in our church for women who are, if they didn't have any finances, we would have to be obligated. And that would be our duty and our responsibility and our call to help out any widow in the church who would be financially disabled. So... Those are the verses, and what it says here in your notes, and if you're looking on in your notes, the incredible thing is, is that God defends the widow. And that's why it's so powerful for us as a church to be on side of the widow, because we're on the side of God. That's what it says in Psalm 68. It says, read it with me. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of the widows, this is God, whose dwelling is holy. So he's the father of the fatherless, that means the orphans, and he's the defender of the widows. And isn't it incredible how this theme throughout Scripture, that God is the defender of those who are the most rejected in society, the little orphans, those who are the widows, the ones that society says, you have nothing to offer me, therefore you're cast out. But God says, those are the weakest, and those are the ones I protect. And those are the ones that I will use for my kingdom and my glory. And so throughout Scripture, you see the use of widows and orphans, those who are poor, really to glorify God. And that's why I love this story in 1 Kings. Open up your Bibles to 1 Kings, because this is a story here that in 1 Kings chapter 17, if you open up your Bible towards the, uh, like the first one-third of the way there, you'll find 1 Kings. And it's uh, right before Chronicles, but 1 Kings chapter 17. And here is the story of Elijah who approaches a, a widow when Elijah is out of food, out of water, and he approaches a widow for help. For help. 
Elijah, so we're beginning, read here in verse, uh, I'll, I'll begin with verse 17, verse 1. It says, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except for, by my word. And then the Lord, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens there to feed you. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and stayed by the brook of Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. Can you imagine this, that God provides for Elijah here? Hey, don't worry about Elijah, you're my man. And the ravens come and bring him bread, and they bring him meat. This is a miracle from God. Because God said that I will use my resources to provide for you. Don't just depend on your resources, Elijah. I am the God that provides for all your needs. And then he says that in verse 7, And it happened that after a while the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So here is Elijah. God, you promised that you're going to give me water and food. And, and all of a sudden, wait a minute, the brook dried up, God. What happened? You promised me that you were going to take care of me. That ever happened to you in your life? You say, God, you said you're going to take care of me, but then the brook dries up. All of a sudden, you ever been in a position where you got a good job, then all of a sudden the next week, no income? There's no, wait a minute, I was making this much money and checking my bank account, and boy, I got it made. All of a sudden, the brook dries up. Nothing coming in. Uh-oh. The only thing coming in the mail are these bills. You get PG and the gas bill, the, the credit card bills. You get the, all these bills, but no money. And Elijah is saying, God, you said you're going to provide for me. Where are the promises? Why, what's going on here in my life? Why, where are you when I need you? Then, look what it says in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there, gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called her to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And in verse 12, she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat and die. Here, just imagine, when the brook dried up and the promise was fulfilled, but... God spoke through Elijah to King Ahab that there would be an incredible drought. It was a drought that people were dying. And a little widow woman with her son, all she could find was a couple of sticks, and she had a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil just to make one last meal. And they said, this is it. We're going to die. Son, we're going to eat this bread, and that's it. They were emaciated. They were, there was... The sun was out all day, dried. Have you ever been to the Middle East? Anybody here been to the hot uh, Israel or the Middle East? Okay, it, I mean, it is so hot, and all you have over there are rocks and no shade. And they're just standing there in the sun, and you're looking for water. I was in Cairo, Egypt, and I remember just being so thirsty in the heat. You know, by the pyramids, we were picking that tourist thing. This is back in 1972. And, and the guide was showing us, and these, they look at these big rocks. And, and all I could think about was, you know what? I need some water. I, I, we, back then, we didn't carry around bottles of water like you carry around now, right? You know, everybody, yeah. a little water. Henry brought me a little raven there. Oh, I don't want to tempt you guys, but this is good. And this... Uh, I was so thirsty, I, and, and we didn't, and remember we got, we were just, the first thing we got to the hotel, 
Just, we order, please give us water. We just need water right now. We literally out all day, and we, we didn't want food. We just wanted water. And this is in Cairo, but I remember them bringing, it just, it was so delayed. What they brought was, was mineral, mineral water, and it just didn't matter. Just anything that was liquid, it was just sparkling. The, it was like, a, uh, anyway, mineral water, but we just wanted something to drink. Here, this lady is ready to die. And just the, the picture of the heat and all the, all the, the oppression. And, and so she says in verse 13, And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Do not fear. He said, Lady, listen. Do not fear. Listen, God is so great. God is going to provide for all your needs. God is the one that is, is so resourceful that don't worry about the drought. That is the least of our problems. He says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. Now, this, this sounds like a real selfish thing, right? Here she's about to die. She is preparing the last couple of little twigs that will light a little fire, She's got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil just to make a, a little bit of a biscuit for herself. She's going to die. Elijah says, I want you to make me some bread first. I'm going to eat first. Then afterwards you can eat. But you know, this was a test of faith. This was an incredible test of faith for this widow and which shows the power of faith in this widow's life in that she said, you know, I believe in God. And I know that God is going to provide for my needs. And what she does is she goes and makes the bread, and she gives it to Elijah. That's why it says in verse 14, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. And the bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Amen. I mean, this is the incredible thing that you can say that, you know what, Lord, I don't have any more money to give. I, I don't have any more money to spend. I am completely dried up. You know what God is saying? You're not trusting me that what I'm saying is that you have to believe that I am the God that owns all the wealth in the world, and I can do anything I want by faith. If you believe in me, it doesn't matter where you want to go, what school you want to go to, or what uh, institution of what learning, or uh, whatever job I will provide for you, doesn't matter according to my resources. We limit ourselves by thinking, well, I can't do anything in life because I don't have any money. And God is saying, is money the issue in your life? Isn't my power greater than money? Don't you believe that I can bring water to the brook and restore the brook? And, and I want you to continue giving to your church. Even, even though you might think you don't have any money, you give and watch how I'm going to bless you and restore all that you need when you put your faith in me because I'm the God of all the resources. And that's what this woman did. She, the, the flour never ran out. The oil never ran out. She had everything she needed because she believed in God. And she said, I'm going to believe in this and I'm going to do it. But you know what? It was a test of faith. If she would have said, wait a minute, Elijah, I, we only got enough for me and my son. That's it. You're on your own, prophet. But no, she believed in God, and she did as the prophet said, and God blessed her. What God is saying to you today, don't let money be the hindrance from you doing great things for God. I know we got a, a men's uh, tailgate party coming up. You might think, well, you know, I don't have the $20 to go. That's, that's the least of your problems. $20 is not the issue. The issue is that God wants you to be in fellowship with other men, God will provide the $20, or you don't even worry about the $20. We're having a men's retreat coming up, and it's cost $75. Well, I don't have $75. Who does have $75? Anybody here have some? I can borrow $70. Anyway, what God is saying is that that's not the issue. I want you to be involved by faith with the men of God. Just get involved, and God will provide. 
We limit ourselves as Christians by reaching into our pocket and saying, I have nothing. And so therefore, we don't do anything for God. When God is saying, money, I've used people with no money to do the greatest things in my kingdom because they believed in me. And that's what God is saying for us here today is that don't let your bank account dict dictate your faith. Always the opposite. Say, I, my faith is going to make, my faith in Jesus is going to do what he wants to do. God is going to do what he wants to do if I just trust in him, not my money. And if you continue reading here, look what it says in what Jesus teaching about widows. And I love what these three examples of widows in the New Testament. Look first at Mark chapter 12. In Mark chapter 12, this incredible story about this widow here that Jesus gives an example of in Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 41. It says, And Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. And then one poor widow came, and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, As surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood." You see, a mite, a widow's, or the mite was the smallest copper coin in that Palestinian time or Roman time that was the least of the denominations. And it was even, of course, less than a penny is today. Have you ever seen a penny on the sidewalk? You don't even bend down to pick it up because, like, it's not even worth the effort. You, you don't want to even, well, anybody still picking up pennies? Okay, Joey, again. Some people do that. They pick up pennies, and you know what? They, they add up. Okay, they add up. Uh, you know, they, but it's like. Treat a penny like you treat a dollar because they add up, right? Okay, so, but it, it's gotten to the point where. There you go, okay, there you go. A couple of good tips here that um, I take it back. You know, penny's not worth any. Well, it, I just, I hate it when I go to the store and I. I, you know, they give me back a bunch of pennies. I said, what am I going to do with these? You know, but you know what we need to do, though, is let's take all those pennies, and what we're going to do is we, got, we have uh, with the school behind us here, that John Paul Jones, if we bring all our loose change, and, and also we can use it uh, to, we're going to help some families, the needy families at the school, and uh, talk to Principal Rita Powell, who... Uh, we told them we we're going to help, so just bring your pennies to the church. I mean, we need a big jar, right? I like the kind of where you put your penny in the, the, the Walmart and it goes around in a circle like that. I just like the, for the fun of it, just watch me. We get, get one of those machines. Uh, but God is saying is that those things, the least denomination, the least denomination here in Scripture, this is how this woman, that was all she had. This poor widow, she was going to say, I'm living by faith. I'm going to give not just one penny, one mite. I'll give two. She went above and beyond because she was already didn't have anything. These rich guys were giving big sacks of money. But you know what? That was nothing compared to the wealth that they had. And Jesus, guess where he was at? He was watching who was putting the money in, into the, the treasury. Now, he was watching because he was observing and teaching his disciples. I want to show you guys something. Who put more money in this? And they're thinking, well, the rich guys, boy, these guys are rich because God has blessed them, and, and look at all the money they're putting in, and therefore they must be doing something right. But Jesus was teaching them. I'll tell you, the person that's doing something right, this little widow has given more than anyone because she's given out of her poverty and she's doing it by faith. The point is, is that what God is teaching us through a widow is he's taking the least of society, 
those that are rejected by society, the poorest of society, and God will use those people to do the greatest things for his kingdom. And you might be thinking, well, I am nobody, and I'm just so poor, and I'm broke, and I, or I don't have any resources. Then you're not trusting God. God is saying, I want to use the who are considered the least in our culture and society to do great things for me if you believe. Amen? And that's what God is calling us to do. And then look what he says here in the next verses, here in, uh, in Luke chapter 7, verse 12, another story of another widow. In Luke chapter 7, beginning with verse 12, Luke chapter 7, or in verse 11, it says, Jesus, or Jesus raises the son of the widow of Nain. In verse 11, it says, it happened day after that he went into the city called Nain, and as many of his disciples went with him, and a large crowd, and when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And the Lord saw her, and he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And so he was dead, sat up, and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. And then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen up among us, and God has visited his people. And this report went out through all the Judea and all the surrounding region. I mean, it must have been like it shocked everybody. There's a coffin. Jesus touches the coffin. The guy comes up out of the coffin. He's arrived. How are you guys doing, man? And he just, just everybody is, whoa, he's alive. Jesus had compassion because she was a widow. Who's going to take care of this lady? An example to the church, an example to all of us. Are we taking care of our people? And that's what God is saying right here through this story and this testimony. And that's what the whole point of what Paul is telling Timothy. Timothy, the church is the family of God. We look out for one another. We're caring for one another. And we're ministering to one another. I love this next story too, also as Jesus on the cross. Look at John chapter 19 and verse 26 here. Another powerful story about Jesus' mother who is now who was a widow. And in verse 25, it says, And there stood by the cross Jesus, the cross of Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother from whom that hour the disciple took her into his own home. Here is Mary. Jesus is on the cross, and Mary is there, and, and just weeping. And this poor widow, Mary, his own mother, and he, he says to her, Behold your son. And then he says to, you know, to John, or he says, Hey, listen, John, behold your mother. And in that now will you take my mom in into your home and take care of her. That's an incredible thing. The last words, some of the last words on the cross, Jesus is caring for his mother. You know, watch out for my mom, will you? She's, she's a widow. Take care of her. She'll need, her, she'll need your, someone to take care of her and, and feed her because she doesn't have a way to provide for herself. And a powerful testimony of God's love, that even on the cross, he's saying, this poor widow woman is going to need someone to look after her. And what John does from, from that very day, he takes in Mary into his home, and, and he becomes part of the family and treats her as a mother and watches her and, and nurtures her and takes care of her needs. So Bible here, and Jesus is teaching about widows, is so powerful, and that's what the church is called to do. And that's why in these next verses here, and the early church shared what they had. And that's why he says in verse 22, uh, verse chapter 2 of Acts, Now when all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all, as everyone had need, 
So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved because the church was sharing everything that they had. The church was, man, you know what? God has told us to share. We're going to share. We're going to help each other out. And I love it in the church when people are helping each other out and caring for each other in the church. The early church did this literally. They met with each other daily, not just once a week. Here we meet on a Sunday and we come and have a meal downstairs. They were doing that every day. And they were, hey, Joe, you have some extra bread over here? Sure, I do. You got a couple extra fish? Well, let's bring them together to the dinner tonight as the body of Christ. They were sharing. And so what the Bible is saying now in James chapter 1, verse 27, read it with me, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself from unspotted from the world. So this is true religion, where we are looking out for the least of our society and culture and to minister to them and to provide for them. And that's what true religion is. Because based on the New Testament times, those were the people that were rejected because they had nothing to offer financially to those who were in society, higher culture. And then what the obligation of the church is in Acts chapter one, 6, verse 1, it says, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution of the food. Because the church was helping those who were in need, and especially those who were widows. But what the problem was, was that there were those who were Palestinian Jews who lived there and part of that culture, and then there were those Jews who were maybe coming from outside of Palestine and those who were outside of the, the region, and they called those Hellenists because they were maybe living in... Uh, what, uh, Hellenist means like, like Greek society, those who were not a part of this, this Jewish culture. They were Jews, but they were now coming in, and they were not really a part of the group. So the church was actually saying, well, we're going to help only this group of people, but we cannot help this group of Christians. And the Bible is saying that's not right. You need to be serving and kind to all those who are poor and those who have needs. And that's the call of the church to minister to those who are in that distress. So the incredible thing about the Bible and what Jesus is stressing over and over again, don't be in a position where you ignore those who are with need in the body of Christ. God is saying, I'm providing I want you to reach into your pocket, into your resources or at home. If you have a bag of groceries at home that, that maybe you can share with somebody else, do it with those who don't have the groceries tonight. And it's tough in our society to unveil our, our poorness or poverty. It's, it's hard to say, you know what, I'm broke. But I want us to be more open and transparent in our church so that we can help one another. I mean, there's families in this church that, I mean, that want to help you if you are down and out. As we're going through a tough time economically in our culture. That's a tough time. A lot of, I, I tell people that, you know what, pastors ask me, you know, there's pastors at Shadow Mountain and The Rock, and they got a lot of resources. But I tell them, you know what, we got a church that is so full of love and so rich in spirit that God is always providing for us. And I don't know how, you know, we could do it financially on our own, except there would be the power of God, just as God provided for Elijah. And that's what's happening here. But within this body, we need to be ministering to one another. Amen? Always, always available to how I can minister to you. God is here today, and he's using you, the church, to do the miracles through Jesus Christ to reach people for Christ by our love for one another. When the people out in San Diego see that we love each other and how we're giving to one another, they're going to say, man, I want to be a part of that church. There's real love in that church. That's what I keep hearing from people over and over and over. I love your church, right? I love how people just love each other there and they're helping one another. And it's, 
transparent and it's transforming and it's overflowing to the rest of San Diego. People are hearing about you because they're hearing about the good works of Jesus through this ministry. I'm going to ask that we bow our heads. And as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, we have a great call because we have a great God. And we have a great ministry because God is the one who is up, heading it up. And what we're going to do this morning is going to ask everybody to stand. And as we're standing, you're going to be praying. We need to pray for one another because we have people in this church that do have needs, people that are hurting, and there's, there's families without work, and there's families that are struggling. And just like those pennies that we see on the side of the road, and all of us have a drawer or a jar full of junk change, but we need to bring it to the church. And I, I know that God wants us to help those in our church that have needs and those who are outside the church. But we need to help the widows in our church. And so I'm going to ask that we bring our change to the church. And we have, don't have a jar yet. I haven't set it up yet, but we're going to set it up between now and, and the holidays. We need to start giving, okay? We need to give out of our resources and give out of our poverty because we're giving out of faith to those who don't have need in our church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this body of believers that you've called to do the work of the greatest person in the whole world, Jesus Christ, the whole, our God and Savior, because you have given to us. You died on the cross for our sins. You magnified your love through your death, burial, and resurrection. And now you're calling us to be examples of what you have done here on earth. You gave to the poor. You nourished the widows and you supplied their needs. You raised the dead. And Lord, there's no limitation on your love. And so we as a church want to be sharing that love. You say, first of all, with the household of God and then with those who are outside that have needs. And Lord, as we love each other and share with each other, those who are on the outside will say, I want to be a part of that. So help us, Lord. And I pray that this morning, that if there's anybody here that has never prayed to receive Christ, that today they will say, yes, I want Jesus in my life. And you need to pray that prayer. Or if you're hurting and you need to restore your relationship with Christ again, you pray this prayer with me silently, right where you're standing. Lord Jesus, I need a Savior. And I invite you, Jesus, to come into my heart to fill me up, to replenish me, to forgive me of all my sins. I believe that you did die on the cross, that you were buried, but you rose again on the third day. And because you have conquered death, you have said that I am more than a conqueror because you have loved me in this way. And so, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I commit my life to you. And, and Lord, help me through this distress I'm going through. And I want to be available to serve you with great faith as that widow who prepared a meal for Elijah. I want to be that kind of person that says yes to God first and let me move over so, God, you can do what your work requires. Father, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleansing me. And now I just want to tell you how much I love you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.